Welcome to We Got Goals, a podcast by Asweatlife.com. I'm Gina Anderson-Cohen. With me, I have Maggie Umberger and Kristen Guile. Good morning, Gina. Hi, Gina. Hello. Gina, this week you spoke with Heidi Stevens. I did. I spoke with Heidi Stevens, who's been someone I've looked to for advice, for guidance, but she just didn't know it until recently. She has a column in the Chicago Tribune. And can you talk a little bit about what that column is? Because it's incredibly interesting for for us at A Sweat Life and really for women in general. Heidi's column is called Balancing Act, and it is a daily column. But she has a few online days and then two print days in the Chicago Tribune. She talks about everything from parenting to feminism to her reactions to news. And it's been incredible to sort of watch her along the way. I started reading her column about three years ago after I caught wind of it when she had this interesting incident with her hair, of all things, and her reader's reaction to her hair. But she's been writing the column specifically for five years, and she's been a writer in some capacity or working with the Chicago Tribune for for 20 And Heidi is somewhat of a veteran in the industry. She's seen journalism go through so many major changes over the past several years. How has she adjusted to those changes? What changes has she seen as the most impactful? What, in general, did she have to say about how journalism has changed? Heidi has been a part of the Tribune in some capacity for 20 years. She started as an intern and has done everything from copy editor, she said something about being on the mailroom at a certain point, all the way up to columnist with a daily column, which was her dream that you'll hear about. So she, on the inside, has seen a lot of changes and she's become a sort of ninja within journalism in that she's able to respond to changes. She's able to adapt to them. She's now producing online content. She has incredible editorial skills. But after our interview, Heidi was part of the organizing committee that announced a guild within the Chicago Tribune, which is another word for a union. So I think she's seen a lot of changes within journalism, and she's probably bracing or is embracing more changes as a part of this group as well in the future. We're thrilled to have Heidi on the podcast. So here is Gina with Heidi. Girl, sit, I'll be on the road. I'll be back. I'm just reaching for a goal. So don't be upset when I'm not- I am Jeannie Anderson Cohen on the We Got Goals podcast. And I'm here with Heidi Stevens of the Chicago Tribune. Thank you for joining me, Heidi. Thank you for inviting me. I have known you through your column for as long as I've been reading it. And I've been reading it since I think someone posted to my news feed a few years ago, probably related to the hair incident. And I've been <laughs> following you closely ever since. So I'm excited well, to talk you. to you about your, about your goals. So can you first tell us sort of how you spend your days and where readers can find you? I, so I'm at the Chicago Tribune as a full-time staff columnist. I write five days a week on chicagotribune.com, the digital version of the newspaper. And then you'll find me in the Sunday print edition in the life and style section and the Wednesday print edition in health and family. Those are sort of the two guaranteed print appearances. Now throughout the week, I might here and there show up in arts and entertainment or Metro or the op-ed page. But I'm consistently on the website five five days a week, and then I'm in print at least two days a week. I'm on Twitter, of course, at, at Heidi Stevens 13. I'm on 
Facebook. I'm pretty pretty big fan and avid user of social media because I feel like it keeps me really connected to readers and and stories and and just kind of what people are talking about in that moment. And you have been at the Tribune since 1998, is that right? I have. I've been here forever and ever and ever in journal in journalism years. That's like a century. <laughs> yeah, I started here as a 23-year-old intern. It was a year-long internship, and when it ended, they hired me on full-time, and I never left. So I've done a little bit of everything <laughs> from like page design to working over in the paste-up room when we used to have one at our printing plant in Freedom Center to copy editing. I ran a section for a while called On the Town. And the the column that I write now has been my favorite gig. I've been doing this for five years, but, but yeah, at the Trib for 20. And before we jump into the first big question, I guess we should pay off the hair incident. So about three years ago, and I'm sure that you're not sick at all of answering questions related to this. I'm actually not. <laughs> but about- I'm actually not. I promise. Good. Because I never tire of telling people why I love you and this is why. So about three years ago, I know I caught wind of you because a certain photo of you went viral. Can you take Uh it from there? (laughs) Oh, sure. (laughs) Yeah, I had a column photo. You know, all columnists at the Tribune have their photos run with their reports, with their columns. I had one that was apparently not at all controversial. I really never heard much at all about how I looked in it. I don't know if people thought I looked good or bad or just not remarkable enough to decide. We all, as a staff, got new column photos. My hair was shorter in my second column photo. It was, I don't know, like beach wavy curls is how I would have described it on a positive note. (laughs) That's what I was going for anyway. And I mean, the hate mail, like just started flooding in about how awful I looked in this photo. I had terrible hair. I looked like I rolled out of bed and came to work and I looked like a messy, greasy tramp. And, you know, what sort of pride did I have in my appearance that I would, you know, dare to come to work looking like that, let alone have my photo taken looking like that. There was just a whole bunch of hate mail from men, from women, from young people, from old people. And, I, you know, I, I started asking some other columnists, like, do you ever get hate mail about your hair? And to a, to a one, all the women said, oh, sure. Yeah, all the time. And all the men said, uh, no, <laughs> uh, no. Chris Borelli, a columnist, like a features reporter here at the Tribune who had his photo in the paper for a while, said, you know, he, he had a baseball cap on in his photo. He said, sometimes I get people telling me I should wear a Cubs hat instead of a Red Sox hat, but that's about it. Mary Schmeek, you know, Pulitzer Prize winning columnist said, oh, that's the majority of my mail is for sure about my hair. So then I was like, you know, I'm going to go ahead and write about this because I think that's interesting. I interviewed like a gender studies professor at DePaul about, you know, just what our hair kind of represents in this culture, sort of a parent-obsessed culture. And I thought she had interesting stuff to say about it. So so I wrote a column about it, and and that just sort of took on a life of its own. I, you know, I got interviewed by Huffington Post and the New York Daily News and Today.com, and I was on TV and I was on the radio, and, and everybody wanted to talk about, you know, this hair hate mail. And <laughs> in a way, you know, and you even made reference to it, like, you know, it seems like something you'd quickly grow tired of or, or find to be a little frivolous. 
it has been fascinating to me, I would say, even, you know, three years later, mostly because of what different people bring to that conversation. So somebody might feel, you know, ostracized or othered to rely on a little bit of a cliche because of their skin color or because of the shape of their body or the way they're the way they choose to dress or the way they present their gender. You know, there are just a million different ways in which people feel judged and written off based on the way they look. And and so all of those sorts of conversations were coming up from from readers that I was hearing from and callers and so I, I just found it to be kind of endlessly interesting to, to talk about, and I was grateful that the Tribune let me kind of go there <laughs> about something as seemingly trivial as, as hair. And I still, you know, I still get the, I still get the notes. I still have readers who like literally take the time to cut out my photo. Uh, it's, I have a new <laughs> photo now. It's not that same one, but, but it, it's sort of now I've sort of become, you know, the one with the hair. So people will cut my photo out and send it to me and get a haircut. You know, wh- why can't you do your hair like Ask Amy? <laughs> a lot of, you know, a lot of advice. <laughs> well, isn't that nice of them? It's so nice. I know to take the time out of their busy lives. <laughs> well, I know, I know that you, you write about so many things from parenting from a feminist perspective to just commentary on what's happening in the world. But I, I want to get to, so your goals and how they've come to life too, before I go too off track about hair and my feelings on it. So can you tell me about a big goal that you've accomplished and how you got there? Yeah, for sure. I, you know, I would say that having, having a column at the Chicago Tribune has been a goal of mine since college. I've always loved to tell stories, you know, true stories, either my own or other people's. That's what I wanted to do more than anything when I decided to pursue journalism. At the same time, I found myself really called, I would say in my mid to late 30s, really called to help other people and and women especially feel less alone in whatever they were going through. And at the time I was going through, you know, I went through a divorce, single mom with two little kids. I was trying to, you know, work full time and pursue this career that I loved and felt lucky to have and and live in this crazy city that I love, but can sometimes feel a little broken, navigate the Chicago public school system, just a lot of things that can feel a little daunting to go through. And I was sort of going through all of them at once. And my editor at the time, thank goodness, said, you know, why don't you write about that, you know, once a week in a column? And and I started to, and it was kind of this perfect marriage of two goals, which, you know, were to, to tell stories, mine and other people's, and make people feel less alone by telling those stories. And and so that's kind of both my my mission and my goal, I guess if those aren't the exact same thing. And what's interesting as I read your columns, there are a few that sort of stick out to me. I don't have kids, but I know that you have two children and a a stepchild. And Mm -hmm. when I read the columns you write about being a mom or even the one you wrote on your birthday, I feel like I'm experiencing a piece of parenting. That's almost like Mm. I feel jealous (laughs) to to, to put it in the best way. 
I feel like you're savoring parenting in this way that I don't think I could fathom unless I read your column. And it's so interesting to me, even what you just wrote about going on the road trip with your son. So do you see it from that perspective? Well, first of all, thank you so much. That's just a beautiful thing to say. Second, you know, yeah, I, a lot of people who I hear from are not parents or, mm-hmm. or they're done with the kind of day-to-day work of parenting. Their kids are grown mm-hmm. or, you know, but, but not, not everyone who writes me about my parenting columns, you know, is in the thick of it the way I am. Kids 8, 12, and 17, my steps in mm-hmm. 17. And I just think that, you know, there's a lot of commonality in the way I kind of struggle to find the best way to relate to my kids. That's not so different from the way we all struggle or take joy from or, you know, find meaning in the the relationships we have with our partners and our siblings and our dearest mm-hmm. friends and our parents. And I just think, you know, there's there's a way of relating to other people that really makes life rich and, and worth living. And for some people that's kids and for some people it's not and and still we all we all wanna feel a connection to other humans, you know? And so mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I hope that when I'm writing about some of my adventures and, and fears and triumphs with my kids, people can see themselves in those adventures and, and trials and triumphs. Mm-hmm. Is there a plural for triumphs? Triumphs? <laughs> <laughs> That's a hard word to say. You know, it, it, in their own lives with, with, other, with other humans that aren't necessarily children. Yeah. And what I love is now, even though you're totally opening, I'm sure you're not opening your life up totally, but you are revealing these sort of raw moments, your divorce, moments with your children. People look to you for advice. I know I saw you on a local TV show here in Chicago after the most recent school shooting, and people look to you for those moments to just sort of see what another parent is thinking and what they're counseling their kids to do. Do you feel like you're an expert? Yeah, that's such a good question. I, you know, I always shy away from that title because I'm like, ah, oh, I don't have any sort of, you know, particular degree or license in anything that would make me qualified to, you know, give out, you know, child psychology level advice. Mm-hmm. I think I'm happy, willing and happy to talk about what I try what I've read, what I've tried, what has worked, what hasn't worked, I'm equally, if not more, willing to say, here's this thing I tried that really spectacularly failed, <laughs> including, <laughs> you know, my first marriage. I, I just, mm-hmm. I don't see any, I don't see, I, I, I suppose it's naive to say I don't see any stigma. I don't think there should be any stigma. I would prefer to push back against a stigma in, you know, trying something and having it not work. When that comes to parenting, working out, marriage, you name it, you know, try it. And if it doesn't work, try a different way. And so I'm always happy to say, here's the thing I just read about in a, in a book by so-and-so, and maybe you could try that. Or uh, here's the thing that occurred to me the last time one of my kids was going through that, and, and here's what I tried, and, and here's how that went. And and so, I you know, I I very much hope to position myself as, somebody who's sort of down in the trenches trying this stuff 
with you rather than um, kind of handing advice down to you. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And I, I think that's why you're so approachable and why I, I think I gravitate towards your writing is because when I read it, I feel like I could one day have children or I could one day navigate these these hurdles that everyone faces. And that's that's honestly why I wanted to talk to you. Well, thank you. So let's talk about the future. Is there a big goal that you want to accomplish in the future and how do you plan to get there? Yeah, I, you know, I really want to write books. I think that's, that's a a pursuit I would really enjoy doing, you know, the physical writing of it. And I, I also just love the idea of reaching a totally different audience, not necessarily a, a newspaper reading or a website reading audience and and then engaging in a dialogue with that audience. I mean, that that to me is half the fun of this work is hearing from the people who have read something and then and getting their questions or, you know, even their criticism. I just I like that dialogue. I like hearing what what you related to and, and what you couldn't at, at all relate to. And I think that would be really fun on a book tour or you know, long after the book is released and people are, you know, hopefully buying and reading it. <laughs> you know, you don't want to write a book that no reads. <laughs> you know, to be able to share my stories and, and stories of, of people who I've been inspired by and learned from um, in a book is something I, I really hope to do. I How am I getting there? That's a great question. I have a little, you know, word document file on my laptop that I, you know, go to and and jot down notes and, you know, I have sort of a loose introduction to a book and I'm at this point I'm in the note taking phase. That note taking phase might last a decade. I, you know, I I don't know. I I have a pretty pretty specific way that I want to parent my kids and and that requires me to be around and and present with them a lot. And I, you know, I I just don't, I don't want to hold myself up in my room and and write while they're eight and 12 and, and want me around and want to play with me in the basement and want me to come to all their lessons. And, you know, I I want to do that stuff. So, so I don't think it's something I'm going to get to in the next couple years because my kids are just the ages that, you know, they need, they need me around a lot. They want me around a lot and I want to be there. But down the road, I think I'll collect all those notes and all these life experiences and, and put them in a book. You know, and it's, um, well, it's a balancing act to, <laughs> to, to close the name of my column, uh, to decide, like, what is fair game for me to write about and what is not fair game in terms of, like, you know, my kids' experiences and their right to a private life. and 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 it's not so much like, oh, what stories should I tell and not tell about them? Because I think I have a pretty good sense of that already. I don't, you know, I don't tell anything about them. I don't, I don't write anything about them that I wouldn't say out loud in front of them to like company in our kitchen. You know what I mean? I'm not telling stories mm-hmm. about bedwetting or crushes or puberty or things that they would be like, oh my God, <laughs> how could you? I, w- I would never do that to them. But there are stories about my first marriage, about dating as a single mom, about, you know, things like that, that, that feel very much like my stories. But, but once they're out there, 
for people to read, you know, then there are also stories about June and Will's mom. And, and so that's a, that's a tricky thing to, to navigate. And I want to make sure I do that well. And that means not doing it like rushed, you know? So I, I know that I read, I've read several columns in which you've mentioned your ex-husband. The two of you are co-parenting, correct? Um, to a degree. Yeah. I mean, he, yeah. he lives in Valparaiso, Indiana. So he's two hours away. It it makes the sort of day to day co parenting not really possible. He doesn't, you know, he's not he's not around physically to co parent. But we share custody of them and you know talk you know talk through decisions and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And as and as you write about him in that divorce, is that something that you're sort of comfortable sharing, or are there sort of boundaries that you don't cross with that? Yeah, there are, mostly because I'm really protective of my kids' relationship mm-hmm. with him. You know, I just, I want them to have the opportunity to develop their own relationship with their dad that's not colored by something I've written about him or, or said about him in public. I don't ever want them to feel like they have to choose which parent to be loyal to. I just sort of, I don't say much about my relationship with him other than in kind of the broadest terms that, that the kids already know, you know, that we, mm-hmm. we struggled on a division of labor at home. I always felt a little on more than a little awfully unfair to me. My kids know that. So I'm happy to, to say that. And I like his new wife a lot. I've written about that. That is something that I think people should feel like they have permission to to do and to talk about, you know, liking their ex's new partner. I think if you can work on doing that, it's really good for your kids. So I'm happy to talk about that. I just, yeah, I just haven't felt like it's right to to bash him or, or go into a mm-hmm. whole lot of detail about, you know, what what drove me to end that marriage, for, you know, for my kids' sake. So in lieu of advice, so if someone were to ask you, what is one question you should ask someone who is going through a divorce, what piece of advice would you give to them? So so your friend is going through a divorce, what should you say to them? Is that the... What should you say to them? Or? Yeah, any sort... Because I feel like people struggle with, like, how to have conversation with someone who's going through a hard time, whether that's divorce or whether that's losing a parent and when when people say nothing it can often just still feel like they're alone you're you're sort of sharing your story and people are feeling less alone through you sharing but how can I help my friend or what can I talk to my friend about who is going through a divorce for example yeah that's such a good question I remember when I was first starting to open up to a couple of friends you know I I did that thing that a lot of us do for a long time where I put you know a, a really happy face on I mean, it wasn't a really happy face. <laughs> I tried to make it look really happy. You know, a false happy face on on everything. And I wasn't talking to anybody about what I was struggling with. And then once I started, I had a few friends who would sort of talk me out of what I was saying I was feeling or sort of try to make it seem not that bad. Like, well, I'm sure what he meant was blah, blah, blah. And, and it took a friend of mine who was just really candid to say like, you know, this is, this yeah. is bullshit. You know, you, um, you deserve better than this. And, 
it's hard to know what your friend needs or, or wants to hear. I'm a big fan of asking really directly, do you want me to listen right now or do you want me to try to coach you right now? That's like one of those management book things. But but I think it's really good advice in in a friendship, in any relationship really, to to let to be clear about what the person wants. Do they just want a sounding board? Do they just want someone to listen and commiserate? Or do they want someone to to offer them, you know, some advice and some real like steps to take? So I like I like doing that in conversations. Like, hey do you want do you want me to just sit here and listen or do, or do you want me to kind of coach? Um, you tell me. I'm happy to do the thing you you need right now. I don't think that comes across as really like contrived or phony, especially if you mean it. And then I would say the second thing is to not, not receive it like terrible news. I, I mean, if someone's presenting it to you as terrible news, like I'm devastated, my husband called off the marriage or I'm, I'm devastated as this is happening. Uh, you know, then I don't think it's okay to say like, that's not devastating. That's wonderful. But, but I think if, you, you know, if it, if you haven't been given the very clear signal from your friend that this is a, a terrible thing, don't assume it is. I mean, I wrote about this, but, you know, I, when I went to Chase, the bank, one day to get a cashier's check for a closing, I was selling the townhouse we lived in together. The nice little, you know, person handling the cashier's checks said, oh, are you, you're moving? I said, yeah. And she said, you're moving to the suburbs? And I said, no, I'm getting divorced. And she was like, oh, congratulations. And I was like, wow, <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't had someone say congratulations to me before. And she's like, well, it usually means a better life is ahead. And I was like, oh my God, I loved that. Now I don't, maybe other people wouldn't, but I loved it because a better life very much was ahead for me. And even if I didn't know it in that moment, it really helped to hear someone believe that and say that out loud to me. So I think to not spin it as like, wow, this is the worst thing that could ever happen to a person. I'm so sorry for you. To not have that kind of, you know, in the air is good, you know, to, to be able to say like, I, I, you know, I think this, this could end up being really good for you. This is probably going to bring some peace into your life that you haven't had for a while. Or, or maybe this is a chance to feel like your life is a little bit more like authentic or a little bit more yours. I, I think a lot of, I think a lot of good can come from divorce. I mean, that's kind of a controversial thing to say. I wouldn't like, you know, go around trying to cause divorces, <laughs> but, but I don't, I don't think they're universally, you know, a terrible, terrible thing for for someone to go through. I think it I think it can be the beginning of a better life, like that woman at Chase told me. That's inc- <laughs> I actually spit out a little bit of water as you express that. Because it was it's so surprising, but the sentiment is really lovely. So I guess as as we wrap this up, is there anything that you've sort of learned over the years with balancing acts that you could condense into a parting phrase. A parting phrase. I would say shut up and listen. Is that does that is that mm. good? <laughs> I think in almost every one of my relationships when I've learned to shut up and listen, the relationship has improved. And and I've improved and I've become a better person, a more understanding person, a more empathic person by listening to other people instead of kind of waiting my turn to talk. And, you know, that's what you want is to go through life always getting, a, you know, a little bit better at it. 
Oh, that's wonderful. I, I'm so happy that I got the chance to chat with you and I'm excited to see what that book turns into and to continue reading you. your columns. Thank you for joining me, Heidi Stevens. It was my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, I said I'll be on the road. I'll be back. I'm just reaching for a goal. So don't be upset when I'm not around. This podcast was produced by me, Cindy Kuzma, and it's another thing that's better with friends. So please share it with yours. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you get a chance to leave us a rating or a review, we would really appreciate it. Special thanks to Jay Mono for our theme music. To our guest this week, Heidi Stevens and to Tech Nexus for the recording studio.